Happy Tuesday and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Apollo 13 Minute, a show where each and every day Monday through Friday we go over one minute of probably the greatest space history movie ever made, the 1995 Ron Howard directed feature Apollo 13. I'm one of your hosts Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I'm your other host, I'm Chris Henry from the EAA Aviation Museum. And we're counting down on the the big uh, mid-course correction burn that's going to happen <laughs> just a little bit after this minute. So we're just going to get down to 9, 8, and then then uh, <laughs> poor Jack gets cut off. Uh, but it's a, it's a great minute. It's got a lot of cool stuff. And uh, as we were, we were talking offline about this, this is kind of the uh, the huddle before the game. They've actually they, they've, they've gotten their differences, that we, their movie differences <laughs> together, and they're, they're all going to work, work together, which is nice. Yeah, I always thought it was cool how, uh, you know, and I think it, it showed off to because I'm sure disagreements did happen in the space program, uh, not to the uh, level that you saw them depicted here. But um, I thought it was cool how instantly it was, okay, there's a there's a big hurdle we have to get over. And everybody puts everything aside to focus on getting over this, this hurdle, this mountain. And uh, it, it always resonated something that Gene Cran said uh, uh, to me. He said that everybody had to check their egos at the door. Um, and come together as a team once we were there. And to me, that this this scene was always kind of a uh, a representation of that. That you know, that there were some disagreements just moments before this, and now all that's chucked aside because there's a common there's a common enemy. To be honest, it's it's figuring out this problem. Yeah, yeah, and and Lovell taking his position as he's the commander, and he's you know basically quarterbacking this whole thing. He's telling Fredo that Fredo's going to handle the pitch on the. Uh, on the controllers in front of them, and then uh, the he's saying the translation controllers are all backwards. So if in translation meaning going uh, forward and backward in, in relationship to the ship. So if uh, if the Earth started to drift, you have to thrust aft to push the ship back into position because you're there's a there's a controller on the when. <laughs> I'm waving my arms on a rate on an audio program. <laughs> so there's a there's a controller that when you're looking through the ceiling has little windows in it so that you can when they're when the lem is docking with the command module after it's left the moon surface and is, is landing, there's a, a translation controller so that uh, translation normally means you're going forward in the ship or backwards in the ship, and uh, then there's a there's a translation control where if you're looking up through the window over your head at the at the station on the limb, you can switch the translation control so now forward is up and uh, backwards is down. So uh, that's that's what he's talking about here with uh, with the translation controllers because they're still in the position where they're connected to the ship, uh, but they're going to be using it like they're docking with the ship to get the up and down part of you know like they usually don't land or they usually don't fly the lunar module when there's a <laughs> command and service module attached on top of them so they have to remember that the controls are going to be backwards from the way they usually use it when they're standing up looking out the window and uh it, they and i'm very glad this is one of the few times in the movie where they don't explain this <laughs> you know that's what we're <laughs> for but they don't explain how this works so uh, understanding that translation controller that there's two different ups you know when you're yeah, and there's no other 
there's no real craps where you where you think of up and down versus you know forward and backwards except in the, the way the lunar module flies so a fa- fascinating thing and I like, I like the way the, they build the tension up to this like you could know nothing about space flight and they yeah. don't pull you aside and tell you what's going to happen but what they did was they set the tone with you knew that a, what they were about to do um they were winging it yeah it, you know it, it was something that isn't normal um, and they were going way outside of their comfort zones, in my opinion. Uh, and that's how, and you know, they they build it up for you so that even if you don't know all about these burns, you don't know about you know uh, flying a lemon or a command module, you still got the the sense of you were kind of in the loop with it. You know, you yeah. knew, you knew what was going on. That these guys were uncomfortable with with what was going to happen. And, and remember, at the time, there, I mean, they never practiced how do you do a mid course correction with a lunar module. <laughs> Attached yeah, to it, you know, it's like exactly. okay, how are we going to do? You know, and, and they're reading it. I mean, there were there were contingencies listed. They had a contingency of how to do things, uh, but they didn't have it, you know, have it written out to this extent that this is what they were going to do because it seemed extremely unlikely that they were going to be using the using the ship like this. They had the idea of the the lifeboat uh, situation sketched out, but not not completely. So they used a couple of the contingency pages that were in their flight manual as to how to operate the lunar module with an, att- an attached command and service module. I wonder if this was ever simulated. Um, I would I have to guess no. Like, I would I would bet after this it was simulated. Well, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, yeah. beforehand, I bet, you, I bet you this wasn't simulated. Yeah, I mean, I, I would think that they would have tried seeing what, what would happen. I mean, one of the bigger, pro- the biggest problem of this, and, you know, Chris, you're a pilot, you know, the biggest problem of this is dealing with uh, figuring the center of gravity on on these ships, and normally, you know, when you when you're flying a when you're flying an aircraft, the center of gravity is usually like the middle of a plane. But this is you've got this big hulking thing on the top of the ship, and you're trying to push the uh, the lunar module against a, a, a ship that weighs almost the same amount as the lunar module does. Actually, it weighs just slightly more than the lunar module. So. Uh, yeah, trying to trying to scope all this out and, and say, well, what do I do if this happens or that happens? Oh, and by the way, we've got to do it in the next ten minutes, and it's got to last for forty seconds. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you only get one shot at it, really. <laughs> yeah, you know, because yeah. you know, every time they fired this thing up, they were using power. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, it wasn't necessarily, and maybe I'm I'm wrong on this, Jim. It wasn't that they couldn't have another crack at it. It was that you're using your power every time you do this. Right, and that's and, and that's why they, they only used the uh, the AGA. They only had one of their navigation systems on. They had the ping system off because uh, it used a lot more power. They couldn't use the one in the command module because they basically had 15, 20 minutes of, of electricity in the batteries left. So the biggest situation that they had was they could turn on the uh, the it's kind of like the limbic system. It's that low, the, the alligator brain that you have, the, the AGS, the Apollo guidance system that's in there that was mostly built for aborts. Is, um, it's, it's very simple, and it would just all it would do is it would calculate where the center of gravity was on the vehicle that you were traveling in and then where to apply the thrust on the controllers, the hand controller that they had in front of them, the throttle and the hand, the hand controller. So you, you flew it like a big, like a big jet. Um, or maybe more like a helicopter. Uh, and that's another, another thing I want to talk about. With, with the center of gravity, one of the things that happens in this, uh, uh, Lovell says we're going to burn at 10% thrust. Uh, he's saying for 39 seconds. That's not really how it, how it worked. What, what they did was they do a 10% thrust burn uh, so that the computer, the, the AGS computer, 
can calculate where the center of thrust is on the uh, on on their system. So that uh, if you picture a, a joy a, a joystick, basically you're holding a joystick and you're trying to find the detent, the center position. So how the lunar module would work is they they'd run a 10% thrust uh, with the uh, See, I'm running out of words here. <laughs> the, the the descent engine is pointed straight down, and it knows where everything is on. You know what kind of where the how much the thrust is when you turn it on at 10. percent This is how much thrust. So using Newt Newton's calculations for mass, you do. I'm going to get this wrong because I'm not doing this with notes. It's, <laughs> you know uh, the weight uh, mass times the uh, gravitational constant of the universe equals mass, or you know it, it equals weight. Or not the gravitational constant of the universe, but the gra the weight uh, mass times gravity equals weight. And what happens is, is with the thrust, the thrust is providing inertia, so it's giving it's giving you a gravitational constant. Uh, yeah, you know how much how much the thrust weighs. So there's accelerometers built all over the lunar module that that go in the the three axes. So it knows where the uh, these little springs are pulling so if it pulls a little bit to the left or a little bit to the right it knows okay that means that the center of mass the center of gravity is to the left or to the right and then there's another accelerometer that's 90 degrees off from that that tells it how far up or how far down the center of gravity is on the vehicle that's being pushed so with those calculations that 10 percent thrust that they run the computer gets a feeling like how far away from uh, a given, you know, like there's a zero reference point, which is usually the top of the engine bell. From the top of the engine bell, how far away the center of gravity is from the top of the engine bell, left, right, uh, you know, northeast, south, or west. And uh, from there, it resets the, uh, the detent on the throttle so that when you're pushing it forward and backwards, you're moving the ship in the correct relationship to the way the thrust is going. So this is kind of a little compressed on what's going on uh, in the in the dialogue, but it's a just it's just a movie. <laughs> we don't have to we don't have to explain all this stuff. I mean, other imagine hearing me talking about this while while the movie's going on and having a having a narration coming out. What he's doing is so it, hey, yeah, kids. It, yeah. <laughs> people will be walking out. So it's um it, it's very you know it, it's very clever the way they do this to show that and they talk about uh, ullage doing an ullage burn. I, and I think we talked about ullage before, where um, ullage, ullage is actually a brewing term. It's a it's a beer maker's term. When you take a barrel, it's how much space is left at the top of the barrel from the the beer that's at the bottom of a barrel, and you can measure that with a with a stick. And there's a big formula. And Kepler's Kepler's rules on uh, ovals, or, uh, on uh, on on circles that are or not circles, but ovals, uh, came into play with figuring out. Uh, Ullage in barrels, and what uh, what all this means is that you have when you have an ullage burn, you have a, a minor burn on the RCS thrusters that are they, they burn they burn a little bit, and the the tanks that are holding the hypergolic fuels that are being fed into the into the chamber of the descent engine need to be at the bottom of the tank since there's no gravity the the, the liquid is just kind of floating around inside the tank so these ullage burns is a slight push toward the uh, X plus. That means toward the uh, uh, command and service modules. It put, it, you have to picture this in your head because I can't, <laughs> I can't show you on an audio. <laughs> but if you push upwards, 
everything goes everything because of inertia everything that's in those tanks goes to the bottom of the tank where it gets drained into the descent engine so they they do a quick ullage burn with the rcs thrusters and then they fire up the main descent engine and uh, it's it's one of those things that you don't think about until somebody tells you about it and you're like oh that makes sense (laughs) (laughs) well it's kind of interesting that they actually depict that in here like yeah. they, they went into that detail to actually kind of talk about it briefly. I mean, it, it's kind of, you know, it's mentioned at least. Like, that's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really it's really neat that they, they leave that little detail in. And uh, it would be just as easy to just forget about it and say, you know, fire those thrusters or something. It doesn't work that way. And it, this, is actually, <laughs> this is actually the way things work. And the idea that you have to think about that stuff when you're going into space, that there's no gravity and there's stuff floating around in a tank that would normally drain like a, you know, like a keg, <laughs> that you have, to, you have to think about these things. Um, and, I mean, that's a problem in, in aircraft. In aerobatic, in aerobatic aircraft, you can have a problem if there's uh, ullage, uh, while doing aerobatic maneuvers, you know, flying upside down and things, if you don't have a fuel pump or if the if the tank, it, you know, if you suddenly turn the plane upside down and the, the bottom of your tank is, you know, it's gravity feed, your engine's going to go off because there's no fuel. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, Watch an old steerman do aerobatics and they roll it upside down and it'll start to cough. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whoops. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's it's been known since World War One, and, th- you know, probably the, the Wright brothers had the first time somebody did a loop. Um, that was like, oh, surprise. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's, a uh, it's an interesting basic problem in aviation and in aerospace. Uh, I just, I'm just glad they, they, they had, t- they gave time to discuss it. So it was a, it was a pretty neat thing uh, for this particular minute. I really like, uh, there's one little piece of this clip that I really enjoy and it's, it's, I'm probably overthinking it, but I think it's really neat. And it's, uh, it's Fred Hayes, um, talking to his limb. You know, and he's kind of like, come on, baby, one more burn. You know, like, I think that's cool. Like, that, to me, shows, like, you know, he's, it's like talking to your car or something. He's talking to his, that's his machine. That's his spacecraft. Yeah. And, um, you know. It's it's so, I mean, you've, when you see astronauts around their ships, even the ones that, you know, they put them in museums and things like that, it's still, they're still very important to them. And, you know, Fred, Fred knew that he was going to, when he was getting on his ship, he was saying goodbye to it. So I, I can imagine that Lem pilots must have had a real special affinity for their ships that they were never, ever going to see again. There was a, this was yeah, a big moment to shine. That would have to be tough. That Because especially on 13, I mean, I guess the others too, because, you know, on the others, that was your home on the moon. You know, you, yeah. you went home to that every night. Um, but this one a bit different where it's keeping you alive in situations that it's not designed to do going way out becoming the hero of the mission really yeah and uh and then you've got to say goodbye to it you got to cut it loose you know and uh god that that would have to be tough you get an emotional i mean we get emotional attachments to our cars yeah you know oh, let yeah. alone something that's saving our lot you know uh you know yeah. saving your life I'm, i mean i I'm, jim i i i know i'm still i'm still, I'm, not, I'm still, I'm still not over my car <laughs> I, I know i well and i was very you know, I was yeah. in the same similar boat with my car. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. When so, you see them. Yeah. When you see it, you know, damaged or or, yeah. or, or not perfect, you have to say goodbye to it or yeah. something. It's, yeah. yeah. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. And yeah, when you got to sign the papers, that was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had to yeah. sign my. Uh, I, I don't know if I had mentioned it on the show, but my my Tesla got totaled, and uh, it was something that I thought they could fix, and they they couldn't fix it because it, I got hit in just the wrong. It was my fault, and the, and the insurance company agreed, but. 
you know, they had to, they, they couldn't, it would cost more to repair than it would be to, uh, to, you know, just hand me a check. So they did. And I had to sign, I had to sign the paper on the trunk of my car when, oh. when I was turning it over to the uh, salvage company. It just felt like, goodbye, girl. So you, you, I, you think that there ought to be like some sort of value place on sentimental. Yeah. You know, yeah. that it's the, no, this is my, my like, car. Yeah. I, and my yeah. car was, you know, I was in water. I, I was basically yeah. in a flood and. And it was borderline. I luckily got my Challenger back, but but it was yeah, it was, your buddy, it was you know. Though. Yeah, I visited yeah. it when it was sitting outside the the dealership waiting its turn. Yeah, to, did, did you, you bring know, flowers? It was that's I, awesome. just about you know. <laughs> I mean, I can tell you the day I got it back, man. Uh, yeah. I, oh, it, it was uh, you know it got a fresh coat of wax and and everything else. So, but my point in all that is. You know, it's it's not a, a crazy thing to get attached sentimentally to your vehicle or to a spacecraft or aircraft or ship or, you know, whatever it is. Um, you know, what's funny is uh, talking to Jim McDivitt, uh, he told me the story of uh, he was at a gala at the Air and Space Museum in D.C. And he came down the one hallway because he wanted to go see his old spacecraft. His, uh, oh, yeah, Gemini 4. Gemini, yeah. yeah. And he said, uh, as he was walking that direction, he could see it way off in the distance. And he's like, wow, they got rid of my spacecraft, and they put, like, a mock-up in there, like a scaled-down mock-up. And he was like, I was kind of perturbed. Like, wow, why did they take my, you know, spacecraft out and put a replica in there? And he's like, and as I got closer, I'm like, oh, no, that's the real one. It's just a lot smaller than I remember. So, <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like, it's like going back to your old, you know, your childhood home. And you're like, oh, the backyard is really small. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and, uh, yeah. I thought that was funny, though. He's like, oh, Aww. that's so he, he had a couple uh, uh, great stories. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, he, uh... he also uh, told me a story about offending the Grumman guys. Oh, really? Um, so. Uh, he, he it, was, it was pretty funny. He said the, he went to uh, see the Lem when they were first building it for Apollo 9. And he said, uh, you know, he's like, I walk in and here's this thing sitting there with, you know, held together with tape and staples. And and I, I told them, I said, you know, I know, the, I know, you know, it's just a mock-up. But, you know, do you think by the time of our next visit we'll have something a bit more realistic of what we're taking in the space? And they're like, yeah, that's actually your spacecraft. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that's actually your lunar module that 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 you're taking. That's the actual article. <laughs> so he's like, I felt like you know, <laughs> I had to yeah. try and pull my foot out of my mouth. You know. <laughs> oh dear, wow. But yeah, it's it's uh it's it's just something. It, I, and I I love I love seeing pilots with their with their ships. It's uh it, it it's always fascinating. I've seen. Uh, there is, and I can't remember the documentary, but they showed Chuck Yeager looking one more time at uh, the X One, and he had a smile on his face. You know, it's it's been decades, and he had a smile on his face from ear to ear, just looking at it. You could tell it was his baby. Oh yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, Jennifer's talked about the the problem that they had with uh, Chuck Yeager visiting. Every time he visited the X One, he'd climb in and he'd sign his name to it. And they're like, um, Chuck, <laughs> General, General, that's a that's a historical artifact. You're not supposed to just you know mess with it. But it's like <laughs> if anybody gets to write their name in something, it's Chuck Yeager. So, so I have an Air and Space Museum story about that. Oh, okay. <laughs> not about not about General Yeager and the X One, yeah. but uh, um, one of my first visits to the Udvar Hazy facility that at uh, Dallas. Yeah. There's this beautiful Corsair restoration there. Oh. Uh, I mean, the airplane is just beautiful. 
And I was talking to a docent, and they're like, look up in the main landing gear wheel wells. And, you know, you could see something kind of written in there. And uh, so, because it's hung up, so you're not, like, looking right yeah. up at it, you know. So, um, they had, I can't remember what he had, but we were able to look through something to look up into it. And uh, there's a signature, and what's really funny is they had just restored this airplane. It's sitting over at the Silver Hill facility at the time. And the Black Sheep Squadron had a reunion. And, you know, this is probably back in, like, the 80s, I, I would guess. Um, and uh, what it had to have been, it had to have been, like, early 80s. Uh, and this was, like, the first, like, really beautiful Corsair restoration done to a really authentic standard you know it's just amazing and the curator is very proud of it and they actually host the black sheep squadron vmf 214 same you know one featured in that tv show and everything and uh they're standing there looking at it and it's just gorgeous and pappy boynton gets out a marker and signs the gear door (laughs) (laughs) and they said the curator could have just fell over you know (laughs) and uh but to this, you know, who's going to re- remove Pappy Boyington's autograph from the door of a Corsair? So, yeah, so exactly. to this day, it's still on there. <laughs> but uh, they, were, they couldn't believe that, you know, Pappy just gets a marker out and signs it. <laughs> wow, wow. Well, yeah, I think I think you got to give special dispensation for anything, yeah. <laughs> anything like that happening. I want to become that famous where one day I can just walk up and autograph something yeah. and, and nobody <laughs> nobody really cares. Because right now if I do it, I go to like jail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you this know? plane's been henried. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, uh, a great minute, a, a great, uh, a good, a good minute. We're still, we're in the midst of a countdown. So tomorrow uh, we'll get, we'll get to the countdown. We can talk some, some more. Uh, well, actually, it's going to be a little bit of a James Horner thing, I think, and, and plenty of uh, special effects things. But we can talk about that a little bit tomorrow. Uh, for folks who want to talk more about uh, planes, center of gravity, and uh, things that you've signed that you shouldn't have, uh, check, check us out on social media over at Facebook at uh, Apollo 13 Mission Control or on Twitter at Apollo 13 Minute. Uh, always happy to hear from you. Uh, and if you haven't subscribed yet on one of the popular podcasters, go out and subscribe. We've got a bunch of episodes still coming up. You can get us delivered hot and fresh every morning if you go to places like Apple Podcasts or uh, Google Play or Spotify or any of those uh, spots. Uh, join us at the big site, Apollo13Minute.com, and you can listen to all of our previous episodes. And if you've missed the previous 101 episodes, you should really catch up because we're getting close to the end. Uh, it looks like we're coming up on... Uh, Oh, yeah, it is. It's like we're coming up on Lost of Signal in about 30 seconds, so we'll see you here tomorrow on the Apollo 13 Minute.